Thanks for joining us for this inspirational teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith, Senior Pastor of City of Life Church. For more information on City of Life, visit www.col.tv. Let's join the service already in progress. I'm excited about our series, uh, Jesus First, Jesus Always. This is week three uh, of our new series that we just started. Um, If you could turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I am excited about the release on Tuesday. Thank you so much for going with us on this journey. I've never had a, it's my first book, and I've never had a release like this before. I, I, I'm a little nervous about it. I, I'm not typically too nervous about things. I think one of the reasons I feel nerves about it is just because so many people other than me have worked to make this big. A lot of things I've done in my life, I feel like I've sort of pushed them myself and driven them, but our team has put so much heart and soul into this. This book is so much more than just me. It's, it's, it's us. It's all of us together. This is us, for those of you that like TV shows. Uh, it's really who we are uh, as a church, and you guys have been behind it so much and supporting it so much. So I just, you know, pray for me that I'm okay with, uh, <laughs> that I can just relax and enjoy the whole process because I'm just excited for all of our team and everyone for Tuesday. It's going to be really fun. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says this. It says, and they were walking along the road. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'm going to talk to you today, uh, week three, Jesus first, Jesus always. This message is called more than a motto, more than a motto. Father, thank you for every person here today, for your presence that is in this room. I feel like some people just got a word from heaven today, Lord, to let go and to stop fighting so hard in the natural and to give things to you that we cannot control and just to get peace in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name that your word would come alive and just minister truth and hope to each and every one of us and let us uh, be inspired at the end of this message to turn our hearts toward heaven and the person that is Jesus and the cross of salvation that we can only come to by way of repentance and let our lives be transformed by that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, my wife and I just celebrated our 17-year anniversary. And looking back over 17 years, I have uh, just really enjoyed the growth process personally. Uh, Seeing my life, I'm I'm able to look at my life and see uh, (laughs) just constantly learning about relationships, constantly learning about what true love looks like. My wife has shown me that for so long now. Uh, when I first met her, I thought I knew everything about marriage. Uh, you know, when we, when we first got married, I thought I was going to be this amazing husband. And, uh, you know, I, I bought us a house and I thought I had everything ready. And, you know, she gets in the house and it's like our first week being married. I said, okay, now let me lay down the ground rules. Never schedule anything on Saturdays during college football season. I watch the 12 o'clock game. I watch the 3.30 game. I watch the 7 o'clock game. Our life will be perfect as long as you respect this rule. And she's like, okay, I got it. And, and I'm like, now also, Sundays. I get home from church. At 1 o'clock, I watch the Cowboys. At 4 o'clock, I watch a game. At 8 p.m., there's now Sunday night football. We will watch that never schedule anything on Sundays. She's like, okay, I got it. I was like, never schedule anything on Monday nights either because that's Monday night football. 
Monday nights are very important. Our lives will be perfect if you do not schedule anything on Monday nights. She's like, okay, I got it. I was like, Thursday nights, there are college games. Do not schedule anything on Thursday nights, and our life will be perfect. So, like, all these different things. I mean, I thought, you know, in, when, when I married her, I had these vows. I said, I'm going to make Jesus first in our life, and then after Jesus, my wife is going to be first in my life, and that's the, the primary relationship God has given me. And I made those pledges to make her first, but what I actually found is that I set down all these rules and put out all these unrealistic things that really no one should have to live up to by drawing lines in the sand and, and really basically saying, I'm first. These are the things that matter the most to me, and I am first here, you are first in these other things, but I'm first in these areas. And what I found is that she loved me so much that she respected those things and never wanted to infringe upon those things, and I would notice that she just turned down all invitations to do anything on those days. And she realized it was important to me, so she would, we would grill hamburgers. She loves football too, so she'd watch the games, get into things. But somewhere along the way, when I saw how committed she was to making me happy and just being so kind and selfless, I just decided one day I was like, hey, babe, you want to go to Disney? And she's like, really? But Florida State plays NC State at 3.30. And I, I, I was like, yeah, let's just, let's just do it. Let's go. And she's like, okay, uh, that's cool. And I just saw how happy that made her. And, and you know, as a result of that, she started doing other things in my life. She was respecting me in certain areas and like just giving to me in other areas that I did not expect she would and making concession in other areas that just showed that it was a reciprocating thing that when I gave to her, she gave to me and her love for me and my stupid rules helped me eliminate those rules and just sort of build a trust, love relationship where now the things that we do together are because we choose to do them uh, together as a, as a team and it's not because I've drawn all these lines in the sand. She helped me realize that what I thought was Amy first was actually Jeff first. And it hurt to think that I had lived my life convincing myself that she was first in my life when in actuality I was first. And my question to you is I wonder if we do this same thing with Jesus. I wonder if many of us think our life is Jesus first, but if the truth were known and we were able to discover what we really feel on the inside, our life really looks like me first. And that's what I want to challenge you with today in this idea of more than a motto. More than a motto, kind of the, the, the thought behind that phrase, it's chapter three of my book, more than a motto means that Jesus first, Jesus always is a really easy thing to say. Uh, it, it, it's kind of catchy. Uh, it, it fits on the back of a jacket. Uh, you can wear it on a bracelet. Uh, $12.99 Wednesday night, you can pick them up. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I think they're $10. Anyway, it fits on a bracelet. Uh, it's a very easy thing to wear. It's a very easy thing to say. It's a really difficult thing to live, to actually make Jesus first in your life. It's a really difficult thing to live. And I've got some examples here that I'd like to share with you. Uh, and one is John chapter 6, verse 66. I find it to be one of the saddest scriptures in the whole Bible. If we could put it up on the, on the screen, the idea is it says, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Just that, that verse alone is, it just makes me melancholy, just reading it. From that time, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. So it's saying something happened that caused disciples, people that were committed to following Jesus, it caused them to turn away from him and to never come back again. Isn't that weird that, there can, that something can happen in our relationship with Jesus that could cause us as disciples to turn away and go the opposite way from Jesus? Have you ever known someone who at one time was passionate about God and now is against God? Wow. 
I've, I've known people like that over my life. Maybe people who were so passionate they sat on the first or second row and served in the dream team and, and, and was a volunteer and a huge part of church, never missed a service, and now they don't even have any relationship with God and they hate the church, they hate people in the church, all they talk about is hypocrites and you're this and you're that. How, how does something like that happen? It's possible from this scripture that we can experience something about Jesus that causes us to not be able to follow him any longer and to turn away like these disciples. Well, in this story, here's what happened. Jesus fed the 5,000. He took a couple of pieces of bread and fish and multiplied it so much. I mean, this room seats about 1,000, so five times bigger than this room. If you can imagine that many people, a couple of pieces of bread and fish, Jesus supernaturally multiplies it and feeds these people. So now he's got all these people who have seen this ridiculous, incredible miracle, and they're following him around the next day to see what's next. So the next day, Jesus gets their attention. They're all focused in on him. Can, by the way, can you imagine how good that bread must have been? I mean, has anyone here ever had the bread from like Texas Roadhouse or like you know, that, those, like, those are like yeast bread where it's like really hot and they give you that butter and you know, you like put the, you like dig a little hole in it and you stick the butter inside and sort of like make a little butter. Or anyone ever had like red lobster cheese bread? I mean, Jesus' bread has to be better than that bread. I mean, it, 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 that's some good stuff. So this bread must be so good. And Jesus, like, did this incredible miracle. So these people had Jesus' bread. They're, like, really into Jesus. They, they're amazed by all the stuff that he's doing. Now they follow him the next day because their mindset is like, wow, what's next? He did bread yesterday. I wonder what he's going to do today. So now Jesus gets their attention like he does with us in many ways. When we hear the gospel message of how great he is, he gets our attention with his love and his kindness, and his grace, and his mercy. And he gets our attention with those things so he can speak life into us and show us what the way, the truth, and the life really looks like. So day two, all these people are following him, and he breaks this off. Oh, you're talking about bread? You're interested in bread? Remember what I did yesterday? Okay, well, let me break it off this way. I am the bread of life. I gave you bread yesterday. You're back for the, you're back for the cheese garlic bread from Red Lobster, but I am the bread of life. And if you're going to have any part of me, check this out. If you're going to have any part of me, he's saying this to you today. He's saying this to me today. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And his disciples are like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> could, you, could you explain that a little more, Jesus? And he's like, No. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He just puts it out there. He's like, no, I, I won't explain it. What I'm telling you is all you are here because you saw me do the bread thing yesterday. What I was trying to point to is that the same way you crave that bread, I am the bread of life, the eternal bread of life. And unless you take who I am and ingest it into your heart and soul and into your mind, Unless you take my blood, which, by the way, is going to be shed for all of your sins, and you put that inside your heart and your soul and your mind and everything you are, unless you take everything I am and put it inside your heart, your soul, your mind, and everything you are, you can't have any part of me. And now all of these people who were so excited about the Jesus bread are going, wow, that is over the top. I can't put that in front of this. I can't put that in front of that. 
forget this. I'm gone. I'm out. You know, some of us freak out when someone unfollows us on Twitter or Instagram. This is literally, John 6, 66 is about Jesus being unfollowed. If you've ever been stressed out about someone unfriending you or unfollowing you, you're in good company because it happened to Jesus as well. Jesus got unfollowed on a mass level. It said from that time, many of his disciples left him and followed him to no more. Why? Because the cost of following Jesus was too great. It was more than they were willing to pay. So when you're saying Jesus first, Jesus is first in my life, have you really weighed the cost of what that actually means to say Jesus first? You know, Jesus was what is called a Talmud. So a rabbi was something called a Talmud in Jew Jewish culture. The Talmudim were the disciples that followed the Talmud. Now, the idea was that the Talmud would say to someone, follow me. And if you had the privilege of someone on that level saying, follow me to you, you followed them. And the goal of being a Talmudim or a disciple was to be exactly like the Talmud. It was not to extract information from the Talmud. It was not to learn the wisdom of the Talmud. It was not to learn the mannerisms. As a matter of fact, this relationship went so deep that the Talmudim would follow the Talmud into the bathroom. Look at someone next to you and say, leadership has its limits. <laughs> but not to these guys. These guys wanted to be exactly, the goal was to be like the rabbi. That was the purpose. So when, as a disciple, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, the goal is to be like him. Whoever he is, what, the, the person that he is, everything he loves, you love. The way he expresses himself, you express yourself. Our goal is to be like him. And what happened is many of those people who were following him saw some things about him that they didn't really like and they didn't want to emulate so they backed off. And you know essentially what, what they did is by backing off, they said, I'm not willing to pay the cost. But instead of some of us having the guts to do what they did, you know what we do? We do something way worse. We try to customize Jesus to our own preferences. Look at someone next to you say, Jesus is not Mr. Potato Head. But we try to make him into Mr. Potato Head. We try to take this blank slate and say, oh, I like, I like the part where he says, love your neighbor. I like the part where he says, don't judge anyone. Oh, it's the best. That means no one can ever judge me. It's perfect. And, and, and we take any, any scriptures that have to do with difficult subjects, any scriptures that we read that have to do with confronting anyone on any level about anything, about sin, any other thing, we just want to throw that out. We want to customize. And I got news for you. What you are creating, you may call it Jesus, but it is not Jesus. And if you are worshiping something that you have created and you're calling, just because you're calling it Jesus doesn't mean it has the power to save you. You cannot customize Jesus. So rather than just walking away like many of these people did, we call ourselves disciples. But the problem is, is we're not being discipled by Jesus. We're being discipled by something that we have created for our own lives. We have to weigh out the cost of following Jesus before we jump in to saying that we're a follower. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Look at someone next to you and say, don't eat the cookie. Isn't that a sad phrase to say to someone? I mean, it's like if you've ever been on a diet... Why is it that when I go on diets, 
the day I go on a diet, a church member bakes, bakes me cookies. I don't, I don't understand this. This is like an evil plan that you guys come up with against pastors. It's like I, you go on a diet, someone, someone you know, it's inevitable. The day you go on a diet, someone in your house is like, you know what, I just felt like baking cookies today. It's like, you're like, really, today of all days? I haven't eaten anything all day. I eat broccoli three times today. You just made cookies. And what do you do? You eat the whole plate of cookies. But look at someone again say, don't eat the cookie. That's really what deny yourself means. It means there are going to be so many things that you have to weigh out before following Jesus, areas of your life that you're just going to have to refrain and step back and look at the cookie and go, wow, those are cookies. I'm not going to eat that cookie, but that's a cookie. And you got to deny yourself. You must carry your cross if you're going to be a follower of Christ. You say, why would you be preaching this? Are you trying to discourage me from following Jesus? No, I'm trying to get you to weigh it out. That Jesus gets our attention when he multiplies the bread and the fish and feeds us. He shows us how compassionate and how loving he is. That's what the gospel message is all about. But Jesus is not afraid to turn around the next day once he's got our attention and says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And he knows that we're going to get freaked out when he says it too. But he has to tell us what it's going to cost if we're going to become a follower. So we see three different encounters in our text scripture from Luke chapter 9 that I read to start out that shows us that Jesus not only expects to be first, he demands to be first. It's not just something that makes him happy, saying, good job, Jeff, you put me first in this area. Proud of you, bud. No, 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 it's a requirement. I can't be an actual disciple of Jesus unless I put him first. You're going to see that from this story, okay? Three back-to-back stories that happen right in a row. Jesus talking to three different guys. Listen to what happens. They're walking down the road, Luke 9, 57. A man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Anyone know this kind of guy? You just The kind of guy that just steps up and says something out of nowhere, and this guy comes up to Jesus, I'll follow Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Man, I love you. You're the bread guy. Woo! And he's excited. I'll follow you wherever you go. And you think Jesus would be like, oh, dude, yeah, come on, hang out with me and my crew. You are so cool. Thank you for saying that, man. we got a spot for you. Week 12, I mean, I know 13 is supposed to be an unlucky number, but hang out with us. Like, come on, follow us around. It's going to be cool. You're going to be one of our homies. You think Jesus would invite this guy to be, like, part of his world? He's, this guy is so, like, fired up. No. No. What does Jesus do? Jesus discerns this man's heart. He looks right into this man's heart, and he realizes that this man thinks life is about the possessions. He thinks that this man thinks life is about what you can accumulate. So he goes to the heart of this man's issue. He goes, foxes have dens. Even a fox has a home, a den. Birds have nests. Even a tiny little bird goes and makes a nest, and no matter where it goes that day, it comes back home at the end of the day. But me, the son of man, I have no place to lay my head. What is he saying to this man by by this response? He's saying that I am here for kingdom purposes. If you follow me, you're going to have to be willing to lay down all the things that you've ever been in pursuit of. I can discern just by looking at you in your heart that you think life is about what you can accumulate in terms of wealth, in terms of possessions, in terms of all the things that are around you. You're going to have to be willing to lay that down if you've got to lay your head on a rock, if you've got to move to another country, if you've got to step out of the job you're in to do something else. You may have to do things you cannot imagine. So what Jesus teaches us in this first encounter is that possessions cannot come before Jesus. 
if you're here today and you say, Jesus first, Jesus first, Jesus first, but you spend three hours a week washing your car and only three times a month do you read your Bible, Jesus may not be first in your life. Your car might be first in your life. So what Jesus is saying is that possessions cannot come before me. He lets us know through this guy who's so chipper. I want to join your crew, Jesus. And he goes, I don't think so. Second guy he meets. Now he flips it a little bit. Now he looks at someone else and he initiates. Jesus says, follow me to the second guy. And, and the guy goes, oh, yeah, absolutely, Lord. But uh, first, let me go bury my father. Now, I mean, it, it seems absurd to imagine that a guy, it's like if, if his dad just died and he had to go bury him at that moment, it's like what would he even be doing anywhere other than being at a funeral? So most people do not believe that this means this guy's dad had just died. What it typically would mean in that culture is that his dad was reaching an old age where a transition was about to take, and, take place and his dad was either going to die or retire and he was going to take over the business. And this guy was experiencing a change of life where he was ready for the transition to take place, but he wasn't quite at the point where he could jump in and make that kind of commitment to follow Jesus. And Jesus says... Let the dead bury the dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that stop acting like a spiritually dead person. I'm telling you, follow me, and you're coming back to me saying, first let me go take care of this, first let me go take care of that. And you say, well, I don't have to worry about that. My dad is not turning over the business. Oh, we do it in so many different areas. We say, Lord, I want to follow you, follow you but first let, let me get through the terrible twos with my kids. Oh, I want to follow you, Lord, but first, let me just get, get, get out of college. I'm almost to my degree. I've been working so hard. I'm so tired because I've been staying up every night. Just let me pass this test. Or, or we say, I've got this promotion that's right around the corner. Or we say, oh, I, my, my company is almost at the point where I'm ready to hire some employees. It'll take some time off my hands, and I can join the dream team and get involved in church. I want to follow you, Jesus, but first... And Jesus said, stop acting like a spiritually dead person. Let the dead bury the dead. You need to come alive right now to the kingdom. So the first encounter lets us know that possessions cannot come before Jesus. The second encounter lets us know that responsibilities cannot come before Jesus. Then a third guy. Apparently this guy didn't learn from the first two. And he says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, uh, look at someone next to you and say, don't say but first. <laughs> That's the big mistake every time is we have all these things that, and we don't realize we're pushing all these things above Jesus. This guy says, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Who could ever confront such a noble idea? Let me go say goodbye to my family. And this, this tugs at our heartstrings, because why? We all love our family. Everyone loves their kids. You love your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. Family is family. We, we just have this whole mantra about how wonderful family is, and, and it seems like such a perfect request. Jesus, I'm going to come with you. I realize you're leaving. You guys are about to get on the boat right now. I want to come. I want to join your crew. Just let me go kiss my mama. Let me just go say goodbye to my daddy real quick. I'm going to be there in about an hour. Give me an hour. And Jesus turns into savage Jesus with his response. Because listen to what Jesus says. Jesus steps right up to this guy and he says, no one who puts his hand on the plow 
and looks back is even fit for the kingdom of God. Now, to understand what he really means by that, you kind of have to understand that using the analogy of plowing in a field, when you plow in a field, you have to put your eyes on a specific point that is in the distance. You cannot take your eyes off of that point. If you're going to plow straight, you don't look at the row that you're plowing. You look at the point, and you go directly toward the point. And if you ever get your eyes off of the point, then you're going to plow crooked. And then it, it costs money to plow crooked, and you're not being efficient when you plow crooked. And, and Jesus is saying that even to think about anything or anyone in your past before you think of me, you're not even fit for the kingdom. You say, well, I mean, what about the, the other Jesus? I like that other Jesus better. No, this is Jesus. If you love Jesus, you better love this Jesus because this is Jesus. He said, you're not even fit for, for service in the kingdom if you ever look back. That's why Paul says, keeping our eyes, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Once we put our eyes on Jesus, Jesus is telling us in this encounter, that I, has to, I have to come first before relationships. So I must come first before possessions. I must come first before responsibilities. And I must come first before relationships. And you know what? This is so counterintuitive to everything that we think of when it comes to family. I'm going to tell you something. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my wife. I'm just like you. We all love our families. And to us, we think family is at the highest level. But Jesus actually said, if you don't... Hate your mother and hate your father and hate your family. Then you can never know what love is to me. And you're sitting there mad at me right now for even quoting this scripture. But what Jesus means by that is not, I mean, if you're sitting there going, well, I hate my wife, I'm obeying Jesus. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. It's not what he means. What he's saying is that we take the idea of what the most wonderful, passionate love in the world is, which is our family. And he's saying the love that we feel for that. When you compare it to the love that you have for me, that kind of love has to appear like hate. Does that make sense? He's saying the extreme. Our best idea of love is our family. He's not saying decrease the love that you have for your family. That's not what he means. He's saying increase the love you have for me. So much so that any other love in the world appears like hate when you compare it to how much you love me. That's why Jesus teaches us that he has to come first before relationships. So if you're putting your family in front of Jesus, you're never going to understand what it means to know Jesus. I'm trying to show you how tough it is. We haven't got to Jesus always. I'm trying to show you how tough it is to actually make Jesus first in your life. You say, well, why would you want to make it tough for me? Because I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to lose the faith. I don't want you to turn away from God. I want you to finish your course. Paul, at the end of his life, when he was writing about his life, he said, I have finished my course. I have run my race. He was proud of the life that he lived for God. I want you to run through that finish line someday into the kingdom and right into the arms of God where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm proud of you. You lived the life that I called you to live. That is my hope for you. That's Jesus' hope for you. That's why he wants to tell you up front that serving him is more difficult than we make it. Now, receiving his love is not difficult. That's, e that's, that's easy. But it transforms us, and we have to realize there's some cost that goes along with that, with that in terms of the way we live our lives, the decisions that we have to make. Now, I'm going to end this with something heavy. Uh, yeah, it's probably one of the heaviest things that I ever could end it with. 
but I'm going to do it on purpose because it's one of the reasons I wrote the book. One of my best friends died of cancer right when Amy and I took over the church. And he was a pastor on our staff. Uh, For many of you that have not been here for a long time, his name was David Capps. Uh, He was a really great man, one of my best friends, as I said. Uh, He was going to be my right-hand guy, help me run the church. He had worked with me for years. I was his youth pastor when he was a kid. Literally prayed with him when he accepted Jesus into his life and uh, taught him how to play instruments, how to be a youth pastor. He was my assistant. Taught him how to edit videos, make movies. We were partners. We blink. We created blink together. Uh, the, the, the current version that you see. He got cancer right when I, at, at the age of 28, right when we were taking over. And one of the most challenging things that I ever went through in my life was walking through that process with him. He had a cancer that was so rare, only five people had ever had it in history and no one had ever survived. So we knew that he was facing pretty dire odds in terms of just statistics. He believed for a healing. We decided we were going to write this book together, The Life I Was Meant to Live. That's before it was called Jesus First. It was just called The Life I Was Meant to Live. And in our conversations about his treatments, he revealed things to me and let me in on things that are almost impossible for me to even think about, much less talk about, but heavy things about life. Heavy things about the consequences of sin and did I cause this and did I cause, just questions that make your brain explode. And I tried to approach this from the most open point that I could, but I will leave you with this one idea that I'm going to show you a video that I filmed of Dave about a month before he died. Uh, He was very sick for a long time, couldn't talk. One day he just called me out of the clear blue and he said, you know what, I feel really good today. I said, could I bring over cameras and could I film you kind of sharing this thing that we've been talking about lately? He said, yeah, please do. I I feel good enough to talk today. What we had been talking about before this video that you're about to see, we had been talking about, he had been saying, I'm trying to figure out at this point in my life with only a couple weeks left to live, do I love Jesus more than I desire to be healed? So we can talk about Jesus first all day. You can say Jesus is first in my life all day. But when you're at the point that Dave was at, he was saying, I'm trying to figure out if Jesus is really first. Because if he's really first, then in my heart, I'm going to have to say you're first even if I don't get healed. Because he couldn't say that. He couldn't say you're first even if I don't get healed. Because in the back of his mind was, you're first, but I know that if I make you first, then you're going to heal me. See, that was the process that was, that was the thought process that was going through his mind. But this is the video that he made right before the day that he said to me, I've made a decision in my life that Jesus is first in my life, whether I ever get healed or not. We hope you enjoyed this teaching by Pastor Jeffrey Smith. You can be a part of what God is doing here at City of Life by clicking give at www.col.tv or by texting a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. Thanks for joining us.